Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. All the projects that we're doing here and some of the things we know, uh, you know, the price tags for and, and we're... All right. Well, we are uh, in week three of this, this series. And like I said, we're looking at the Beatitudes. And the, the interesting thing about the Beatitudes, I've kind of started this every week. So if you want the full explanation of it, check out the last couple messages. But, but each one of the Beatitudes have a very, two very distinguishing marks to them. They always all start off with blessed, the word blessed. Blessed are the, and then they, Jesus would insert something here, and, and then he would, he would end it with saying, for theirs is. That, that the beginning is blessed, and it's not blessed in the way we think. It's blessed in the way that God intends for us to be blessed. Not blessed with stuff, but blessed with joy. Blessed with happiness that has nothing to do with the happenings around us. It has everything to do with this eternal hope, this eternal joy that is beyond this life. It is supernatural happiness and joy. So Jesus is saying that kind of blessed not just hashtag blessed because you're living a life of comfort and you got lots of stuff, right? You are blessed with something from something beyond yourself, and it's a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual thing. It only comes from God. And then he, Jesus saying, for theirs is, he's identifying like a potential there, th- that if you are this, then you will experience that. And I think for us, the journey is to lean into the if and the then because I think a lot of Christians, and it's probably true for some people in this room, your Christian experience ends with you saying yes to Jesus. You get fire insurance because you don't want to go to hell, but, but you're still living a life that you would say is, feels like hell on earth to you. And Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come just to, I, I, he didn't come just to forgive your sins. He came so that you could have a full and fulfilled life that's different, heaven and eternity. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you'll give attention to these things, if you'll, you'll uh, adhere to them, if you'll lean into them, then you can experience more. So the first week, we talked about uh, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that, that recognize that they are spiritually destitute, that there is nothing more that they need than Jesus. Last week, we talked about blessed are those who mourn, which if that sounds counterintuitive to you and countercultural to you, it is, because this whole teaching series from Jesus is upside down. It's backwards. Ta-da. And there was light. And there, let there be light. There it goes. Yep. So this is, this is, all this teaching is backward, but blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you missed those messages, please make sure you listen to them. This week, we're going to continue this upside down teaching of Jesus with Matthew 5, 5, with the third beatitude, and it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That sounds really nice, right? Anybody ever inherited something before? That's awesome. It's like this just unexpected blessing. Somebody just, just said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to use this anymore. I'm going to bless it to you. Or I've been holding on to this for the last 20 years to pass it down to you, and now you're of age, and now you've inherited a thing. Anybody ever inherited something before? It's kind of nice, right? It's just, and, and sometimes... Sometimes you inherit somebody else's headaches, and that's not really nice. But, you know, but most of the time, it's, it's like, man, everybody's excited about what they inherited. But what about this meek thing? What does that mean? Meek's not a word that we use uh, in our regular everyday language, right? And, of course, there, there was a, a, a Greek word that was translated for us into the English word meek. 
But this word is like an ancient word. It's an older word. We don't talk about it. We don't even actually know what it means. Like if you think about what the word meek means, you might tend to think that it means small. Maybe you feel like the word meek means quiet, or maybe you feel humble or gentle. When I think meek and I try to put a label on on something in, in my life or something that I would recognize as meek and that would be universally recognized by you, I think a Tweety Bird. Anybody else think a Tweety Bird? Tweety Bird, just small, meek, looks humble, looks, 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 looks very quiet, looks like they don't have much power, they don't look like they have much strength. They're, it's very, you're, you would approach Tweety Bird in a very unassuming way, and Sylvester the cat does just that, doesn't he? Approaches Tweety Bird and it thinks he's gonna, gonna catch him, but Tweety Bird is pretty smart because he totty taught a putty tat. I did, I did see a putty tat. <laughs> So when we think about this small, when we think about humble, we think about uh, well, you know whether it's the, the, the you know small being the size, their physical size or or the the loudness of their voice. We think about gentle. All these definitions of meek are correct, but they're not complete. They're correct, but they're not complete because when you look at at, at Tweety Bird, <laughs> well, the thing with him is that he may look small, but he was mighty. He beat Sylvester all the time. He was hip to his ways, and he constantly defeated him. He was a strong little dude. Whether he was just strong in, 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 in his ways or strong physically, I'm not really sure, but I do know that he was powerful. And so I wouldn't say that the definition of meek is small, humble, gentle. I would say that meekness, if we're to define it, and if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. I'll throw it up on the screen. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. I love to go to Amish country. Anybody like to go to Amish country? Oh, man, I love Amish country. And uh, my wife loves Amish country too, but she loves it for very different reasons than I do. Uh, she likes to go antiquing, and I don't, but I like to eat. And so in between antiquing, there'll be lots of eating. Because in Amish country, they have stuff that's like fresh and like amazing, right? It tastes like nothing else anywhere you know, you've ever been to. It's just so good. I love going to, they have Heine's Cheese Factory, Swiss Chalet, oh, come on, somebody, the Swiss Chalet. You can eat all the cheese you want, they got samples of it, and they got tons of different kinds of cheese. You will leave Heine's sick, and if you don't, you didn't do it right. <laughs> they have a great restaurant along the main strip called Boyd and Worthman, I think that's the name of it, just this little, this little place that only the locals really know about it, there's a long line outside. We went in there, and because we, we asked, where would you eat to the locals, they were like, oh, you need to go there. And there was this long line, and, and it was like this little house. And we were just, it was just unassuming. And we went in, and I sat down, and there was this chalkboard right in front of me, and it had a bunch of pie names on it. <laughs> and little by little, somebody kept coming up and scratching off the names of the pies. And I called my waitress over and said, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am. I said, there's pies on this board, but, but they keep getting scratched off. Why is that happening? She said, well, that's because we only make a certain amount of pies every day, and when we run out, we run out. I said, ma'am, I'm going to have to go ahead and place my pie order now, <laughs> and I want it on the table because I want peanut butter pie. Amen, everybody? <laughs> so the peanut butter pie came before my entree did because homie's not playing. <laughs> it's a true story. It's not even true story. Wife's sitting right here. She'll confirm. It's good. But one of my favorite places to go out in Amish country is a place called Hirschberger Farm. Anybody ever been to Hirschberger Farms? 
Oh, okay. Well, you've probably driven past it because you didn't recognize it as part of the deliciousness that is Amish country. But there they have a market, but they also have a, a Hirsch burger, which is a burger patty with a sausage patty and multiple kinds of cheeses. Mm. Oh, yeah. Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And so they've got this, these delicious hamburgers, you know, and, and, and they've got a, a great market with fry pies. Anybody had a fry pie from Amish country? Oh, change your life. If you like those little hostess pies, you can get at gas stations. You should go get a real one. I mean, they are dripping with grease because they just freshly fried them. And my goodness, they're life-changing. Donuts. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I got to stop. You got to stop because we're going to go to Amish country today. And they're closed because they're Amish, so can't. But at Hershberger Farm, they have something. I'm getting somewhere, I promise. It's part of the message. It's, I just get lost when I start talking about food. Uh, shocker, right? Uh, but but it, and on, the, on the side of the farm, they have this big, like, open-air barn. And in this barn is a Clydesdale. And, and if you've ever seen a Clydesdale up front, which, or up close, it, it's this, this massive horse. They are, they are huge. They're terrifying. Like, just this big, massive, powerful horse. Most Clydesdales start out, or the, the tallest one actually right now is 20 hands, which is about six feet tall. And you're like, Aaron, you're six feet tall. That doesn't look like a scary horse. That's its shoulder blade. And then from there, it goes its, its back and its neck and on up to its head. They're massive. And these animals are so strong and so powerful. And yet, yet, they are submitted and when these Clydesdales learn to submit their strength, what happens is they become very useful to the farmer for plowing the fields, for pulling the carriages. They become very gentle creatures. They have this strength and this power to destroy anybody and everything around them, and yet their strength has been submitted. It is under control. Meekness is strength under control, like like a Clydesdale. And there's no greater example of what meekness really looks like in action than Jesus. Jesus had the strength. He had all the power of heaven to act. And yet, Jesus in multiple situations in his life remained submitted. I'll show you one of them. This is early in Jesus' ministry. He had just gotten baptized. And this is the first thing that happens after he gets baptized, it says, Then the Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So there's purpose here, okay? He's going into the wilderness. The devil's going to tempt him. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Sometimes I just want to insert the word duh right there. <laughs> I go 40 minutes and sometimes I'm hungry. <laughs> this dude did 40 days and 40 nights. And he's hungry, and it says the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, because he wasn't sure, by the way. He said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus had the power to do what he was being tempted to do, yet his strength was under control. He was submitted there was a process that his father was putting him through that the Holy Spirit led him into. And instead of acting and using the strength and the power that he had to turn stones into bread, what does he do? He leans into what God has for him. Nope. 
He leans in and he quotes scripture, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, it's, it's written. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, still not sure, throw yourself down. And he's, now he's going to quote scripture to Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Sometimes scripture can be used to sound good for us, to, make, to, to, uh, to, to join our biases, right? Sometimes we can twist it and go, hey, this aligns with what I want, so I'm going to go ahead and make it. I'm going to find the translation that suits me instead of actually reflects God's word appropriately. It's called twisting scripture, and that's what the enemy's doing. Jesus answered him and said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is meekness. Jesus demonstrating strength under control. He was able to do all of those things, had the power, had the authority to do all those things, yet he remained submitted to God's word. I would say this, that if we were to define meekness more fully, that it is the humble strength that belongs to the one who has learned to submit to difficulties. And my goodness, 40 days fasting in the wilderness was difficult, knowing that in everything God is working for their good. This is meekness. And it had to have been hard for Jesus. 40 days of, of praying and fasting. 40 days, he's hungry. And of course, he wanted to act and to, to turn those stones into bread. He probably thought about it every day since he arrived. Of course, it was difficult not to shut the, the, the enemy up and show him, I am indeed the son of God. Watch these angels that have charge over me that won't allow me even to trip. I'm going to throw myself off the building. Look what I can do, you know? <laughs> had to be hard. I mean, if you had that power, wouldn't you show off? Wouldn't you want people to know how good God is and the authority that he's placed in you and the power that he's given you? And yet, Jesus resists because there was something at work greater within him. Remember, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And last week, we talked about this, but we've got to get on board for this, that God is a builder, that God cares more about your character than he is concerned with your comfort. That, that Jesus understood that God was doing something in him, and so he remained submitted to it. And I know that that's a hard thing to accept for us. I know that that's difficult, especially when we feel like we have the power and the strength to do something about it. It's hard for those of us that hold positions of authority and power, isn't it? Like if you're a boss and you need something done, you're not gonna you, sometimes it's tempting to rely on the authority of your position alone. You're going to get this done because I told you. Or moms and dads, you're going to do this because I said, don't do what I do, do what I tell you to do, right? Because I said so. Parents ever say that to your kids? Leaning on our authority instead of explaining why or building a relationship so that they trust you. It's easy to lean on that. We have the power and the strength. But just because you can, just because you have the power, just because you have the authority, doesn't mean you should. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is also uh, not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. I'll give you a couple things about meekness here. It is not weakness. You know, Jesus' disciples... As they followed him, they wanted him to be king. But they didn't want him to be the king of kings, as he's described in prophecy, the, the king of all heavens. They wanted him to be an earthly king. 
They wanted him to overthrow Rome. They wanted him to end the oppression that they were under, the Jewish people. They wanted him to restore Israel. They wanted him to be Lord, but, that, but not Lord of Lords. They wanted him to be a warlord. This is what they wanted from Jesus. But that's not who Jesus was. He was meek. He demonstrated strength under control. And if you think that the way Jesus lived his life was a lifestyle that, that, that because he was meek, it demonstrated weakness, let me tell you a story where Jesus had every bit of power and authority, every right to condemn and destroy someone's life, and yet he carried himself with meekness. John 8 is a story of a, of a woman that was caught in adultery. And the woman was caught and the religious leaders of the day brought her and likely threw her into the public square naked because she was caught in the act. And they threw her in, in the square in front of Jesus. They said, our law requires that she be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus said, well, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he gets down on the ground and he starts writing, refusing to look on the woman's nakedness and to further shame her. And one by one, all of the men who accused her, from the oldest to the youngest, walked away. Legally, they should have stoned her. Legally, they should have killed her. And Jesus had every bit of authority and every bit of power to do that. And he looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, that may seem weak to you. That may seem like he had every right. He was empowered by the law. That was the right thing to do. But if you ask that woman, what Jesus did was the right thing to do. Because what Jesus did was restore her life. What Jesus did was allow her to go and sin no more. In his meekness, he did that. Strength under control. Would we have done the same thing? When given permission to condemn somebody, when given permission to underneath our rules, underneath our handbooks on the job, underneath our, our house rules, would we condemn? Or would we grant grace and also speak truth? See, Jesus' strength was submitted to his Father's will. He even... Later on in other stories, says that he submitted, submitted his words. He said, I don't even say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. I only say what Dad says. My friends, that's not weakness. That's discipline. That's what that is. That's real strength on display, to only say what you've been told to say. He was submitted. Now, I don't know about you, fellow Christ follower, but I think that would be kind of hard to do. That on a regular basis, the thing that you say to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, to those people who have made a mess of their lives, or maybe somebody who gets caught in a situation, would you hold your tongue? Would you offer grace? Would you offer truth? Or would you say, well, you made this, this bed, go ahead and lay in it. You're getting what you deserve. Told you so. Well, the Bible says this is what happens to the earth. Is that what we do? Will we push for the full extent of the law, for their punishment? Or would we who have 
receive that same grace that Jesus gave to the woman caught in adultery, offer that grace to someone else, to see them restored, to see them made whole, because that's what sin does. Sin breaks, and, breaks up your life and tears you apart. You need restored lovingly. You need truth, but you need grace first. Would we do that? Would we offer grace like Jesus? I think that as a church that is here to reach lost people, that's part of our vision statement, reaching people far from God. That as a church who's doing that, meekness is important. We cannot be a church that labels people thinners. I know it's funny how I'm saying it, but you know what I'm saying. We can't be a church that walks around with our Bibles and smacking people over their heads, expecting non-Christians, people that are far from God, to behave like Christians. Why do we have an expectation of thin earth to act like you and I do who are believers in Christ followers? Why do we expect brand new Christ followers to act like somebody who's been following him for 20 years? Why do we smack people around with rules? Instead of offering them grace and a willingness to walk with them as they are transformed into the image of the Christ in the same way someone was willing to walk with you. We cannot be a church that demands that people act like Christians before they become Christians. It's like telling somebody, hey, go wash in the sink before you get in the shower. What's the point of that? Putting the cart before the horse. But we argue, well, people need to hear the truth. You need to preach the truth. We need to threaten them with hell. We need to call them out. We need to condemn them. But Peter, Peter, he knew this was not the the right approach to loving lost people. In fact, he tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Check yourselves before you wreck yourselves, (laughs) y'all. And always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, what's your story? Are you ready to tell somebody, this is who I was. Jesus entered my life and he changed everything and this is who I am now. And watch how he says to do it. He says to do it with meekness and fear. With meekness. Strength under control because you have God's word in your heart. You hold the sword of the spirit You could slice and dice and chop them up. Or you can walk with them in meekness, strength under control, and watch as they slowly become transformed into the image of Christ, day by day, week by week. I never want Simple Church to be a place where we bash anyone over the head. We believe you can come as you are. We believe it's okay to not be okay. We also believe it's not okay to stay that way. We believe you can belong before you believe. The disciples certainly did. When Jesus called them and said, follow me, they didn't have their faith in him as the Messiah. We need to be a church full of grace and truth. Amen, everybody? No reason to shame anyone. Truth be told, anybody who's walking with habitual sin in their life is already walking in shame. They don't need you to remind them. They need you to be a space. They need you to be a person who is carrying Jesus. Because let me tell you something. Do you know what disappears in the presence of Jesus? Shame. You want to be like Jesus? Stop shaming people. 
Meekness, my friends, is not weakness. One other thing about meekness is that meekness is the abiding place of God's provision. Meekness is the abiding place of God's provision. You know, I think we tend to use the strength that God has given us, the power God has given us to accomplish and acquire many things in our lives. And I think that's okay. That's, the, that's what we're supposed to do, right? God's given us strength. He's blessed us with wisdom. He's blessed us with knowledge. We're, we're supposed to do the, the nine to five and the job and all the things. Like, we do these things. We're gifted and talented in many ways, and we use those gifts and those talents to move things in our lives forward. But we need to be very careful with our strengths because there's a tendency and a temptation to begin to rely on our own strengths to rely on our own understanding, to rely on the things that we alone can control. And when we're in that place, we're in a dangerous place. Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, said in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. But this is the nature of our God. That if you want his provision in your life, then we have to lean into him. We can't rely on our own strength. We can't rely on our own understanding. We can't rely on the things that we can control. Jesus knows that this is a temptation for us. He knows this is an issue for us. God, by the way, made us in his own image. He gave us dominion here on this earth. He gave us authority. He gave us power. He gave us every bit of strength, gifts, and talents that we have. He knows we are going to be tempted to trust in ourselves. But let me tell you something about your life. You were never meant to carry the weight of your life on your own. You never were meant to do that. You were meant to put your life and trust it in the hands of your loving Father. That's what we were supposed to do. When we trust in ourselves, we do things that we want to. We do things our ways to get what we need. Sometimes those are good things that we do, like the nine-to-five job. Other times, it's, it's bad things. It's things we're cheating, we're stealing. Maybe we've decided we can never get a leg up in life, and so we result to a life of crime, or we make decisions that are not in alignment with God's ways and his best for our lives so that we can make sure we get what we're after. We make sure we get our needs met. But Jesus said, this is not the way. Matthew 6, 25, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the rest, rest of the, the message here. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, you don't have to worry about all this stuff. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about what you're going to drink. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about clothes. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Even the heathens worry about this stuff. He said, I'm going to take care of all of it. You don't need to stress over those things because worry is a trap. And worry, by the way, is ultimately you just attempting to take control of everything around you in your own strength. But Jesus is calling us to the rest that's founded in trust because he says in eight verses later, after he says, don't worry about your life, he says in verse 33, Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom. Y'all know there's a kingdom. And if there's a kingdom, there's a king. And in that kingdom, that king has a way of doing things. That's what Jesus is talking about. That there's a way of going about things. There's, there's a way he wants things done. There's an order that he has prescribed for us. He says, seek that first. 
Seek his right way of living. That's what righteousness is. Seek that. And then all this stuff that you're worried about, you'll have that. God will take care of all that. In fact, God will go so far, if you'll give attention to his spirit and what he's doing in your life, you'll find that the desires and the things that you think you need, you probably don't need so much anymore. And you wind up in a place where he shifts your desires in alignment with his desires. That's another message for another day. You say, what does that mean for me? For all that stuff I worry about, what does this verse mean? What well, means seek the Lord? Ask him. What is God saying about your situation in his word? It means you've got to crack open your Bible and find out. Google's great. You can type in a topic and put Bible next to it, and it'll give you a whole list of verses to talk about that topic. Or better yet, what is the Holy Spirit saying about your situation? How are you praying about this? Where is God's peace leading you? If the Bible doesn't speak to a subject, how does it speak to your heart in that situation? I tell people all the time, I mean, how are you praying about this? Where is God's peace leading you and follow that? It may not be what you want. It may not be what you imagine for this season, but it will be right. It will be God's way. You're seeking his way first. My wife and I, we're in a situation right now where last August, we've been talking about building her dream house. She wants a barn dominium, and I want her to have it. And we've been looking for property, and we've, we've been talking to a real estate agent. And he said, well, I think I can get this for your house if you go list it now. We prayed. God said nothing. So you know what we did? Nothing. And then about two weeks ago, I get a letter in the mail. It's an offer for my house. It's a lot more money than what that real estate agent told me I could get back in August. My wife and I bowed our heads and we prayed. And you know what the Lord said? Nothing. So you know what we're doing? Are you sure? <laughs> hey, this is a hard season. I'm just being honest with you. It's, it's a hard season because in our own strength, what we see is what we could have. And already waiting on the Lord has proven to yield a higher profit, but still, even still now, Am I sitting here holding out that maybe it's going to increase, you know, another amount? No, I have no idea what the Lord's going to do. But right now I know that he said nothing. So we wait. And my fear for you as your pastor is that we wander through our lives, we, we go through our lives, we make decisions for ourselves, and we do all these things in our own strengths. We see what could be, could be. And we make decisions based on what's in our control, what's within our power, instead of stopping and saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Hey, God, what, what, is, what do you have for me in this season? What should I do with my finance? How should I handle my kids? How do I love my wife? How do I love my spouse? Help me, how do I be patient in this situation? What do I do in my career? When the Lord speaks, you follow. When he says nothing, you do nothing. You can continue to go back and pray. You can ask. It's all good. Nothing's wrong with that. But until he releases, you say nothing. We don't make decisions from our point of strength, from our understanding, doing things the world's way. But my fear is that you will, that you'll handle your career, that you'll handle your dating, that you'll handle your marriage, your singleness, your finances, your spending, your raising your kids, your sexuality, all of it, leaning on your own understanding, seeking your own way. We may acquire, we may accomplish things, but oftentimes we do so without our plans submitted to the Lord. Are we seeking him first? 
That's what, what meekness is. And when we, when, when we don't, what happens is we begin to pursue those things and God's blessing isn't on it. And we wind up exhausted. We wind up sometimes resentful. We wind up owning things or having things that wind up owning us. They own our attitude. They own our time. They take us away from important things like attending to our spiritual matters, attending a Sunday morning service, attending a group. Takes us away from those things because all of a sudden we got everything we wanted and we got it in our own strength. We forgot how we got where we were at. There's a, there's a story uh, in, uh, in, that I think exemplifies what happens when we do things in our own strength. And I want to give a trigger warning. I don't mean to be insensitive, but there are things in the Bible that are a little graphic and a little difficult to understand sometimes. But I understand the Bible is not all prescriptive. It means not everything you read in there is telling you how to do things. It's just telling you what happened in the, within the sinfulness of man. And there's this, there's this character. His name is Amnon. He's one of the sons of King David. Yeah, that David, the David who killed Goliath guy. And one of his sons fell in love with his, uh, his half-sister, which seems weird but wasn't weird then. And so he falls in love with her, and he, he's just, he's pining for her. Every day he's pining for her, and he wants her real bad. But Amnon's issue is he would not submit. He would not submit to the proper path to obtain his sister so that he could have a proper relationship with her, so that he could experience the king's blessing. Follow me. And so he wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. He wanted it how he wanted it. He wanted to do it at his own strength. And in his own strength, what he did was he got one of his advisors together, and they plotted and they planned together. He said, pretend like you're sick. Ask the king to send your sister. Have her make some food for you. And then when she's in your room, take her. The story goes on. It says, so Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon. This is 2 Samuel 13. Who was lying down, she took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, so everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread, and she prepared it and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. She said, no, my brother. She said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? So she's concerned about herself. Where could I get rid of this, my disgrace? And what about you? He's in line to, in the kingly order. You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. There's the path. He will not keep me from being married to you, but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me, but he refused to listen to her. This is a pattern in his life. And he called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Why did he hate her? Because she was a reflection of his treachery. Everything he wanted, the way he went about getting it, all of a sudden now he has it and it's the worst thing in his life. He resents it. It took, him, took everything that was good from him in a single moment robbed him. And my fear is, is that this is what happens to us. When we do things in our own strengths, we create a mess. God knows there are things that we need. He's not oblivious 
He's not oblivious. He longs for us to choose to submit our lives to him, trusting him. Remember, Jesus said, seek first God's way, then all these things will be given to you as well. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the abiding place of God's provision. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So you say, all right, Aaron, how do I become meek? How do I get there? I'm going to give you three quick things. Take your notes. These are simple things. Don't overlook them because they're simply stated. Number one, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's your first step. Man, if you haven't done that one, take that step. Come to Jesus. There's no shame here. He's not mad at you. He, he knows what you did last night, and he's not upset with you. His love is for you. He wants to be in relationship with you regardless. Take that step. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's talking to all those that have been living their lives in their own strength. Everybody that's been doing it on their own. That's some work. That's some difficulty. He said, take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is saying is said, hey, let's work together. A yoke was something that would link two oxen together. He said, I'm going to pull and you're going to pull. We're going to do this thing together because that's how it's meant to be, by the way. It's you and him. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Notice he doesn't say unyoke yourself from anybody else. He just says, yoke with me. He's, the assumption is you've been doing this on your own strength. You've been, if you've been doing it without him, you've been doing it alone. He said, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you're doing things as you've seen fit, it's exhausting. When your strength is not submitted, when you lack meekness, he said, just, it just wears you out. He said, submit. He said, if you'll come to me, you'll find rest. Man, isn't that what we need? It's rest. We won't be doing it alone anymore. And we'll get to walk with him and learn how he does it. Learn how he walked this life out. Submitted strength. So make the choice. Choose today and then choose every day to make this simple statement. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Second way to, towards, towards meekness is to have a repentant heart. Repenting, that word repent, it just means to turn away. And it's not just about what you're turning away from, it's about what you're turning to. That repentance means I'm going to turn away from my ways and I'm going to turn towards God's ways. James says it this way in James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness with your strength submitted, God, I'm going to submit to you the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Hmm. You're going to have to set aside some stuff. You're going to have to set aside your attitudes. You're going to have to set aside some of your preferences and some of your ways in order to submit what God has for you. Turn from your way and turn to God's way. It's why we have to read our Bibles, guys. It's why we need to be in it. We need to know what it says. And when we look into it, what we'll find is a new way to be, a transformed life. Repentance is ultimately a systematic restructuring of every area of your life as you learn to point it all towards God's ways, making this statement, my ways aren't the best. My ways aren't the best. The third thing, if you want to develop meekness in your life, is to trust God's plan. You know, to trust God's plan, you're going to have to submit to him. 
Because there's all kinds of things that you can do, but God, what would you have me do? How would you have me live? How would you have me handle this situation? Come to Jesus, repent, and turn towards God's ways. Make, and make that choice to trust his way. Even when it's hard, guys. Even when it's hard. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was coming, by the way. Do you know that? Jesus knew he was going to be, be crucified to a cross. Jesus knew that the prophets had said that the shepherd would be struck and that the sheep would scatter. In other words, that he was going to be crucified and all of his friends that he had just walked with for the last three years were going to be scattered and confused, wondering what in the world just happened. He didn't want that for his friends. He didn't want that for the people that he loved. He didn't want that for his mom. And Jesus was, was like burdened with heavy grief. And he took his disciples into the garden to pray. And he went on a little further. And it said that he bowed with his face to the ground praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. We like that prayer. We pray that one all the time, don't we? Oh, man, my back's hurting. Lord, could you just heal this thing for me? Hey, God, my marriage is a mess. Could you just, you know, do the thing? Do the hand thing that you did all throughout Scripture. Hey, God, I got this difficult situation at work. And instead of being submitting to that and letting it teach us, we like to pray that prayer. Instead of praying, Lord, teach me in this situation what I'm supposed to learn, get me out, help. But Jesus, this is meekness on display. Watch this. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He knew what he was going to face. He prayed this prayer three times. Three times. And three times he submitted. Three times he chose to trust his father's plans over his, knowing that they were better than his own. And us, we have a responsibility to trust God too, to trust his plans, to submit to them. Say, Aaron, what does that look like? Practical ways? Talk to him. Pray. We have a phrase here. We call it pray first. Pray over everything. Pray without ceasing. Talk to God about anything. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Talk to him about it. Pray. You don't know how to pray? Every Saturday we're here at 9 a.m., 9 to 10. We'll walk with you. We'll show you what it looks like to pray. We have prayer guides at the Connect Center. You can pick them up and take them home. Learn how to pray. Talk to God. Read God's word. You say, I don't know. I've never done that before. Let's get started. We follow a one-year Bible. A lot of people do it here. It's a reading plan. Gets you through the Bible in a year. You say, what if I miss a day? Keep going. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Get a Bible. If you need a Bible, stop by the Connect Center. Pick one up. Most of us have digital, uh, have smartphones, and you can get a Bible app on your phone. Read your Bible. Make sure you Sabbath. Take a day off during the week. Spend it in the presence of God. Be here on Sundays, right? Trust that God can do more with your six days than you can do with seven. Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? Same thing with tithing. Choosing to believe God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Submit. Submit to all the one another's that are found in Scripture. God designed you to be in relationship with one another. Join a church. Get involved. Serve on the dream team. If it's not here, make it somewhere. Get involved. Serve one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. You can't do one another's if you're sitting at home all the time. That's in God's word. But what about how do I manage my marriages, my finances, my sexuality, my dating, my relationships, all the rest of life? Get in a grow group. We talk about all those things in the grow groups. We do. 
All of it, every bit of it. And if we don't have a group on a subject you want to you learn and study on, you lead the group. Hey, there's an idea. You say, well, I don't know. You get a book, and y'all can study it together. Y'all can submit your ways to God's ways together. Learn. Then lead the group again and help other people learn what you just learned. That's called discipleship, y'all. Go all in. I know what I'm asking you to do and what Scripture is telling us to do. I know that meekness isn't easy. I'm aware of that. As another fellow human, I get it. It's not easy. But God's trustworthy. Amen? Learn to do things his way. And begin by saying, I want all you have for me, no matter what. I want all you have for me, no matter what. I'm going to end right here and just tell you that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You say, Aaron, I don't want this earth. This earth is a mess. That's not a good inheritance. Can I just tell you something? It's not what it's talking about. Revelations 21, you peek at the back of your Bible. We did this last week too. The inheritance is something that's to come. It's not something you get now. And what's to come, it says in Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. All of this is going to be made brand new, guys. And heaven will descend on earth. There'll be a new city, a new Jerusalem. That's where the throne of Jesus will be. All of creation will be made brand new. You and I, all of it. This is our inheritance. There's an eternal prize that we are pursuing. And you can have it. You can have it. All of it is yours. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'll give you one last statement, one last nugget. The meek are those who say to their Lord and King Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. They give to him a blank check and ask him to fill it in as he chooses. This, this is meekness. Let's pray. Father, today I've done my best. I've been wrestling with this all week long, and Lord, I feel like I've given him everything you told me to give him. So God, my prayer is that you do what you do. Holy Spirit, that you begin a work in our lives that we would choose you, that we would repent, and that we would trust your ways. And God, as we do that, as we lean into all that you have for us, as we choose to trust your plans and your ways for our life, God, transform us. Let us be a people that one of the hallmarks of our life is meekness, strength under control, submitted fully to you. May we be like Jesus. We seek you first in all that we do, Lord. Set all of our paths straight as we do. Now, God, I know there's a beginning to all of that that in this moment some of you need to take. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you need to do that first step, and that's to come to Jesus. For some of you, this might be a come-to-Jesus conversation. Or maybe you've known better and you've walked far away from Jesus. Maybe you've had a relationship with him, but you've maybe abandoned it. Maybe you've felt lost. Maybe you felt like you've gone too far, done too much. You can't come back. That's not true. You can. In fact, the goodness of who Jesus is is that his mercies are new every morning. 
that even if you could exhaust them today, they're brand new tomorrow. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. In fact, Jesus is full of grace upon grace. It means you're going to get what you don't deserve. You're going to get forgiveness. You're going to get a start over. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if this is your 10th time getting a start over with Jesus. He's pleased to give it to you. In fact, he paid for that. He paid for you to have it. Others of you, you've been far from God. You thought maybe you were disqualified from it, having a relationship. You've never had a relationship with Jesus. Today is your first day. And I'm here to tell you, you can have it. Jesus is not holding a lightning bolt ready to strike you. He is meek, full of grace, and full of truth. He's ready to receive you just as you are, and so is this church. So if you're here today and you're ready to pray a prayer that I'm returning, or I'm for the first time I'm saying yes to Jesus, at a moment I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray with me. If you're praying that prayer, though, would you let me know? Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to do that today. Come on. Come on. Don't worry about the person next to you. Just lift your hand. Church, let's pray together. You can put your hands down. Everybody, let's pray out loud so nobody's praying alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. And make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, Simple Church. Celebrate with those. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the, the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit giving. We are so thankful you joined us today and hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again and we'll see you at next week's episode.